welcome to Gotcha Journalism. Uh, my name is Sierra. My pronouns are she, her. Uh, my name is Iris. Uh, my pronouns are also she, her. Uh, it's technically Saver Metrics, a.k.a. I got sucked off by his... Oh, fuck me. You're right. It is. Jesus. <laughs> uh, we are not reviewing a gotcha game today. No, we're not. I kind of wish we were. It would have been better for my soul. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to start No, I don't. I don't. Early. I don't want... You know what? I take it back. Uh, do I take it back? Hmm. I mean, Fate you know Grand what? Order Actually, does have a more structured plot. Fate Grand Order does have a more structured plot. Fate Grand Order also doesn't try and convince me Shinji is funny. I might, I, I might prefer Fate Grand Order right now. You know, I don't think Fate Grand Order has Shinji in it at all. I don't think he's ever become a pseudo-servant. All right, so welcome to Gotcha Journalism. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Fate Grand Order. <laughs> uh, no, we are we are talking about uh, loops two through four of Hollow Ataraxia, the fan disc pseudo-sequel to Fate Stay Night. <sighs> I want to like this yeah, game I- so bad, and it's fighting me <laughs> so hard. I just confirmed it. The uh, the only other places that Shinji shows up is Fate Collide uh, and Fate Extra, but I promise there is a good reason why he shows up in Fate Extra. Oh, is it because he gets strung up by his intestines and we get to just watch him die? <laughs> You'll see. Um, oh, before I actually... Before we start talking about Hollow Ataraxia... Um, because we were planning on just skipping Fate Collide, uh, Liner, Prisma, Ilya, um, I did go ahead and I was like, well, I do kind of want to at least somewhat cover it just to be thorough. <laughs> yeah. So I did go and start reading. I did read the first chapter of it <laughs> and then I immediately stopped. <laughs> yeah, dog. Yeah, I know. Because that first chapter... Like, oh, it's so gross. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I, I knew that Fate Collide had a reputation. I didn't think it started so hard into that reputation and was, like, so just blatant about it. For, like, literally the majority of uh-huh. the first chapter, like, Ilya is just straight up naked. Mm-hmm. And, like... It's fine because she's technically 18, I guess, maybe. I don't know. She's cer- she's still drawn the exact same way as she is Weird. in Fate Stay Night. Um, fucking ugh. fucking hate. And nerds. like, there's even a joke uh, about um, like Shiro because in, in that canon, they're they're actually like siblings. Um, there's even a joke about like Shiro getting an erection seeing her like that. It's just oh Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm gonna commit a homicide, Nasu. I'm coming for your ass. Yeah. So uh, d- do not bother with Fate Collide. It's not worth it. <laughs> um. Yeah. So we absolutely will not be covering that in any capacity. Uh. Anyway, no. let's talk about Fate Hollow Ataraxia. Are you sure we can talk about something else? <laughs> I mean, listen, we make this podcast. We can make it about anything. We can talk about anything we want. That's true. We, we could just skip to Fate Zero. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kim might actually kill us if we did. Yeah, yeah, she would. Um, so we start on loop three, uh, day one. Loop two, you um, mean? 
Oh, right. I'm sorry. It's loop two. Yes. I'm getting ahead of myself. I forgot where I had us it's, stop last time. It's almost okay, like we not much happens in loop two <sighs> or three, and it feels like we continually keep wasting our time right. or we something. Did, we did loops two through two four. Through four. Yeah. Loop three is a very, very short one, though. Ah, yes, right. Yeah, now I remember. Okay, loop two, um, day one. Uh, we're going to the uh, student council room in the school. The title of this scene is The Student Council Chairman is Going Strong. Uh, Shiro meets Issei as he leaves the student council room. Shiro contemplates how Issei has been the president since first year and has exceeded expectations. All the other council positions have been succeeded by the new generation of students, but no one else wants to take the position of president. Issei laments that the current second years are, quote, lacking in determination and patience, end quote. He also worries that if he were to simply appoint the vice president and the succession went poorly, it may split students into factions. The student body needs to decide, decide the next president, not him. He confesses to Shiro that if his friend were a year younger, he would simply have abdicated the position to him. <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine Shiro trying to be a fucking student 100% I can easily imagine that that absolutely is and he would probably be great at it too is the fucked up thing really cause like he has <laughs> like, uh, he can't give people orders no 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 he wouldn't be he wouldn't be good at it in a way that is helpful for him but he would take everybody else's job like everything would get done oh, because yes. Shiro did it himself cause Shiro would do it yeah <laughs> everyone else would just do nothing yes that is true um Issei is also disappointed that he was not able to implement all the reforms he had hoped to introduce, such as settling the inequality in club fees and amending the school regulations. He blames Rin for many of these failures. Quote, Tosaka has a hold on the sports clubs. She interferes with school trips, and on top of that, she has some kind of force over the staff, threatening them and bending them to her will, end quote. The passion with which Issei speaks of his perceived rival causes Shiro to ask a devastating question. Quote, are you lonely without Tosaka around? End quote. No one hates someone this much without fucking them. Uh, like, <laughs> or at least, like, wanting to. Yeah, uh-huh. Like, I, I, listen, I, you know, you know I am in the camp that is like, yeah, Saber and Ren are obviously dating. But if they weren't... <laughs> I'd be into this. I'm not even gonna lie. I, I yeah, think no, that would same. Be fun. Uh, Issei is in me. Also, like God, I I do like Issei as as obnoxious as he can be. Uh, he has his heart in the right place. I, I, like unironically, uh, I genuinely think this scene is great. Like, yeah, uh, for a lot of reasons, actually. Like, it, it is one of the first instances we have a, of a scene where it's like, oh, hey, you're doing things with themes here, like. This entire scene is about Issei uh, trying, both being mired in a past and in past obligations and being unable to let go of his past, while also still trying to build a future forward and figure out what his next step forwards are and to grow as a person. Um, and that is like a thing we'll see come up in a couple of other scenes where Shiro has no idea what the future looks like for him. And he is yeah. content to just kind of revel in the current moment in a way that is not like necessarily healthy. It, it is the kind of like, I am not going to plan for the future and instead just sort of coast and not think about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, and we get scenes, we get really good scenes like this to sort of build off the ending of, of Fate Stay Night and, and Shiro's own in, insecurities um, scattered throughout Hollow Ataraxia. Uh, and the main problem is that they're they're not really connected by anything. Oh, you're telling <laughs> like me Hollow Ataraxia no has a structural problem? behind where they're placed. Um, so it, like, it's very easy, it's very easy because of the way this game is structured, oh, excuse me, because of the way this game is structured, to, like, see a scene like this and forget that, like, Nasu still is doing thematic work. Yeah. Um, because it's, because it's easy to, like, just, you know, sort of kind of gloss over, like, what's going, what's happening between the lines and just take this as yet another, like, one-off character piece when really it does mean more than that to like the Shiro's actually Shiro's overarching issue in, in, in fate Holorater Axia, but because yeah. like, because n- there, nothing is ever really emphasized. Everything is presented with the, the same weight when it's in this loop structure. Uh, it's, it's not even just, just that like, it's the same weight. It's they're all discrete individual uh, uh, moments that you can act. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it is an illusion. Maybe you could only have accessed this at this moment here or like around this moment here, depending on when Flag said. I, I don't know. But like, as it stands right now, like, from what I can tell, they're all discrete moments where like, we don't really... Like it, it doesn't connect to anything because it can it just sort of exists in the void on its own. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it can be it can be easy to just like miss this stuff because you're just not looking for it. <laughs> Man, when um, this game is doing stuff and has a plot and themes, I love it. It's great. It's a shame that there's been like three or four total scenes that do that in this game so far. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the archery range uh, scene. Um, this one's called Sakura and Deluxe Lunchbox. Uh, Shiro stops by the archery range and finds Sakura, the new archery club captain, eating lunch here. They talk about how it's almost time for the fall tournament and that Mitsuzuri mentioned that their school wasn't sufficiently, re- sufficiently represented last year. Sakura isn't worried about this year, though, and is confident in the skill of the freshmen. She asks him to join her for lunch and reveals she already prepared enough for him to eat. She was going to invite him if he hadn't shown up on his own. As they eat, Sakura thinks about teaching Ryder how to make lunch. Shiro's worried that uh, uh, that if like they, they say something to Ryder, that she might only just do it out of obligation. Um, Shiro then notices Sakura's lunch and acts surprised that she eats just as much as he does. There's... Shiro makes a weird. Shiro is weird about the fact that Sakura like is a person eats more than he expects her to. <laughs> like she is an active person. She's she's not like me who just sits around in front of a computer screen for most of the day. Yeah, like she gets exercise. <laughs> yes, she is the president of this entire sports club. <laughs> Uh, also, Shiro, you live with her. You know how much she eats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, 
Next up, uh, Shiro goes to his part-time job, uh, and then um, he comes back to his house. Uh, as Shiro is preparing dinner, Ryder enters the kitchen to let him know that a stranger showed up at the house earlier trying to sell them a tabloid subscription. She refused this person, but he, but he said he'd come back every day until they bought one. She asks if she should regard him as an enemy. Shiro says no, largely because he doesn't want anyone to die. He explains that if she tells this person that they already have a subscription, he'll leave them alone for three months. Or, Shiro suggests that Ryder can ask Sakura for help, and she'll, quote, settle it in no time. Sakura is apparently quite skilled at getting annoying people to leave her alone. With the matter settled, Ryder heads to the living room to watch the news, upsetting Taiga when she switches the TV channel away from Racket Rainbow Goddamn. Which... <laughs> that title rules. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I do love Sakura as, like, terrifyingly passive-aggressive. Yeah. Like, damn, Sakura, you from Minnesota, huh? Uh-huh. Hi, girl. Yeah. Uh, Ryder nods in recognition of Taiga's protest, but she still changes the channel. I fucking love Ryder. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Ryder's such a great addition to the household. Uh, and I wish she was in a more substantial thing in in this fashion than what Hollerado is giving us so far. I just want a book, man. Just give me the book. Don't make me <laughs> click things. Just give me a book. Um, I'm going to be saying that this whole fucking game. Yeah. Uh, Shiro goes out alone to patrol the North Residential area. Um, during his, everything seems fine, but he catches a silhouette of a person out of the corner of his eye. It seems as thin as a piece of origami. There's, there's so many of these, like, patrol sequences that are just pointless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know why they were included. They're, they're even in the, because you can go back and watch these scenes in the extra menu. Um, mm-hmm. and I do that, and that's what I do to get, like, uh, the titles of these scenes. Yeah. Um, and these are listed and those go out for a walk scenes, even if nothing happens are like listed as separate scenes. <laughs> okay. Sure. I don't know why you bothered Nasu. Uh, uh day two. I asked that a lot. Uh, day two, uh, in the school, in the seniors hallway, this scene is called Maki Dara and Rin's pendant. The scene is so gay. <laughs> Uh, Kaede literally runs into Shiro in the hallway. Uh, Kaede offers to help him to his feet, but he decides to get up on his own. As he does so, his finger catches on the chain of Rin's pendant. He tries to put it away quickly, but Kaede notices it's the same one Rin has. She thinks out loud uh, about how interesting it is that they have matching pendants. In exchange for not blabbing to the school, she wants to know where she can get one, since she thinks the design is kind of cool. Telling the truth, he says he doesn't know. Kaede then correctly reasons that Rin must have given, given it to him, which suddenly angers her. Quote, You unworthy man, getting such a precious gift from Tosaka. I will hereby carry out the punishment in heaven's stead. Die. Shiro uh, quickly retreats. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason she wants one is because, it, like, at first she's chill with it because it's like, oh, this is another bachelor person who just bought a thing because it looks like Rin's. That, that's a comrade in arms. And then realizing, oh, it's a gift. Uh, makes yeah. her go, oh, but that's my wife. Um, yeah. <laughs> which, like, man, if this game was allowed to be gay, I would think that's very fun, but I know it never will be. Yeah, no. It, it's never going to be. God, uh, I wish. 
At least not at least not until Wada Arco enters the, enters the picture. Who? Uh, Wada Arco, the uh, main character designer for Fate Extra. Hmm. Okay. Nasu uh, it, Nasu is too heterosexual. Uh, frankly, actually, no, I take it back because I don't know that Nasu understands heterosexual sex, let alone gay yeah. sex. <laughs> yeah, he, he, even he might have a loose grasp. Uh, at, at best, it's, it was described to him by someone else, and like <laughs> they probably had a shaky grasp on it too. He's just like, oh fuck it, I guess. Yeah, okay, I can put that in there. He asked. He asked his good buddy Gen Urobuchi <clears throat> about what sex is. No, absolutely not. Gen Urobuchi is too familiar with what sex is. That's the issue. <laughs> uh, the Mato residence. Uh, this scene is titled "Visitor." Shiro chats with Sakura outside her house, uh, where she reveals that pretty much every room in the house has a lock, though she herself can simply open them magically. We also learn that, tragically, both Shinji and Zoken are alive in this reality. Zoken is expecting a guest from a distant land to stop by today and instructed Sakura to wait by the door. He would prefer to turn them away, but he has no choice due to Rin being away at the moment. Sakura mentions that Rin, quote, keeps saying that we can't let you be seen by anyone from either the association or the church, that you are like an endangered animal species or something like that, end quote. Uh, before he leaves, he asks who the guest is. Sakura heard it's the newly dispatched overseer who may move in as the acting church priest once an official order is received. Unfortunately for Sakura, the person never shows up and she just spends like... A few hours just waiting outside for no reason. <laughs> um, post Heaven's Feel, they don't ever mention that they have to hide Shinji or Shiro from the church or the association, right? I couldn't remember um, if his new body means he has to hide from the church. I can't remember if the Heaven's Field ending implies they are hiding him or not. Okay. But I can see why they would, because yeah. he was an unregistered mage. He's an unregistered mage, and also he was he is literally one of the only successful examples of the third magic in existence. Yeah, so, so, so like, even if he would, if he would they, be uh, an experiment. Yeah, like even if they didn't kill him for like being an unregistered mage, they would almost certainly imprison an experiment on him. Mm -hmm. uh, and Sakura and Rin would definitely not want that to happen. So, yeah, I, I can't remember if they imply it there, but like the rest of Fate's Day Night absolutely implies that it would be a bad idea for them to know about. Yeah, um, I, I just mentioned it because that is the, the only reason existence. I can think of for them needing to hide him from the Mages Association and the church. Like, yeah, especially considering there is a scene with um, with Ilya later that implies that. No, 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 no. That's very much the case still. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, fuck this new person for standing up Sakura. <laughs> Make your wait outside. Oh. You can't you can't be mean to Sakura like that. It fucked up, frankly. Um, I do love like the little uh, sort of scribbly chibi art that they use for like the the final scene where it says like Sakura waited outside for hours for 
<laughs> but they never showed up. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, the, this this scene is kind of nothing, uh, and is actually worse than nothing because it confirms that the two worst characters are still here. Yep. Uh. Uh, anyway, uh, Shiro goes out for a walk alone at night to patrol the South Residential. Everything seems fine here, too, but he does notice a couple brand new post boxes. Thank you for this scene, Nasu. Cool. Thanks, Nasu. <laughs> uh, day three, the schoolyard. Uh, this scene is titled Lunch with the Track and Field Club. Shiro observes Kaide running the track and field team ragged. Uh, Kane Himuro... Uh, who has like long sort of silverish hair and glasses. She's kind of the serious one of the trio is there watching from the sidelines and explains that Kaide's goal is to take the freshmen to their very limits and drive them to despair. Shiro says she must be a sadist and remarks. He'd probably quit after experiencing that. Uh, Kane, however, believes Shiro wouldn't be beaten by the training. (laughs) She's she's not wrong. (laughs) Also, (laughs) she believes Kaide is more of a masochist than a sadist. Suddenly, the team manager, Yukika Segusa, who kind of has a bob cut, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I think so, yeah. Appears and asks, Maki-chan is a pervert? Uh, they get distracted Thanks, by... <laughs> yeah. They get distracted by cleanup now that practice is over, and Kaede enlists Shiro's help to fix some equipment. Um, Yukika invites him to lunch as thanks, but Kaede argues that Shiro, quote, comes from a family that loves to do people favors with no rewards, and if you're not careful and give him something, he'll die, end quote. You know what? I'm like, I don't like this scene very much. I do like the parts of the scene that are just mercilessly roasting the shit out of Shiro. Uh, yeah. Um, there, there is a specific, like, uh, so one of the one of the uh, extra bonus features of this, of this fan disc is like uh, this this sort of like shrine gag where Rin is like a a, a shrine maiden basically, mm-hmm. uh, and you can you can buy use use like the in game currency to unlock um, uh, illustrations in the fan disc, and uh, Rin and some some other characters will give commentary about like the art that you've unlocked and the one for uh makidara uh, makidara kaide is um rin basically saying that you could argue that this is a makidara kaide fan disc and like at some point they had to in that at some point they had to institute a makidara ban to stop nasu from writing more (laughs) makidara scenes (laughs) genuinely very funny i wish he had written yeah. more makidera scenes just make it yeah. about makidera coward and you can tell because like basically every scene that makidera shows up in is fucking hilarious uh, gee it's almost like when he has like a direction and a character he is interested in he writes something interesting and when he doesn't he doesn't yeah um yeah makidera is great and you can tell that he really enjoys uh writing her um and yeah i i do wish that like <laughs> you know, there was more scenes of her and less of fucking Shinji. Um, uh huh. Yes. Anyway, uh, as as the foursome eat lunch together, uh, the girls mention how there are rumors that Sakura frequently makes lunches for Shiro, and that he's a pretty good cook himself. Kane deliberately stirring the pot, which is we'll find out is kind of what she does. 
uh, mentions that she's seen one of his lunchboxes in Rin's desk before. Kaede, once again, gets suddenly angry. Quote, I won't accept it. That arrogant, stubborn girl, stubborn girl would never go out with some gallant helper type. A girl like Tosaka can't have friends. Even if she had some, it would only be people like me who intend to use her. End quote. Yeah, man, we get it. You want to fuck Ren. Uh, that's the end of that scene. It's fine. It doesn't, yeah. like... We'll get to the end. We'll get to it at the end. But, like, man, this fan disc shit just does not hit for me. I I enjoy these scenes for the most part, but also once they're done, I'm like, I, sure, I guess that happened. Um, we head over to the big bridge. Um, this scene is called Mitsuzuri's Revival. Um, scene was very weird. Uh, Shiro meets Mitsuzuri, and they briefly te- tease each other about appearing to be workaholics who never take time for themselves. When they notice they're both at the bridge alone, she asks him to go shopping with her. Quote, It's not often that I get to see you, and having a bonehead companion ought to be alright once in a while. End quote. Shiro briefly thinks that she seems almost like a gender-bent Issei. Uh, Mitsuzuri, however, interprets him getting lost in his thoughts as hesitation, and laments that she's not up to par with girls like Rin, Sakura, and Saber. Quote, If you're more into the beautiful type, should I introduce you to Ryder? Shiro asks. She goes quiet, and Shiro mentions via internal narration that Ryder has been wanting to rent out Mitsuzuri. He does not explain what this means. No, he doesn't, and I sure wish he did. I'm sorry? I said, no, he doesn't explain that, and I sure wish he did, because it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, so, um, Kim, uh, uh, mutual friend of ours, um, explained this to me when I posted about it on Twitter, being like, what the fuck's happening here? Um... So, in one of the roots, the the person that Ryder, like, sucks blood from is Mitsuzuri. Oh, right. And it is, and it, this is basically implying that she gets a taste for Mitsuzuri's blood. I see. Okay. Yeah. That still uh, kind of sucks, but, like, yeah. it sucks less than I expected. Yeah. Um, to change the topic, Shiro asks what sh- uh, she wants to do on this date. Uh, she asks him to take her out for tea, then to the CD shop to check out some new songs, and then to the game game center. He objects to the game center since he's not accustomed to it. Shiro is not a gamer, confirmed. Shiro, stop being a bitch. Take Mitsuzuri <laughs> out on a date. Yeah. She teases him for being as old-fashioned as Rin and says he really should get a cell phone at some point. She also wants to convince Rin to get one, but Rin is stubborn, and she'll probably need to teach Shiro and Saber how to use one first in order to manipulate Rin into getting one. <laughs> Honestly, I think Shiro alone would be enough to do it. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can't let Shiro be more advanced than me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, again, this scene is okay, but also it doesn't really uh, do anything. I didn't mind this... <laughs> I don't mind the scene in the context of if Mitsuzuri shows up more and yeah. significantly more in the future. Like, if Mitsuzuri is a more significant character moving forward, there is a dynamic here she has with Shiro that is kind of unique, especially with an, a woman that is, like, fun for her to see. Like, him with Mitsuzuri as, like, 
a relationship similar to the one he has with Issei is fun. It is fun to see him yeah. be friends with the woman and not be thinking with his dick. Uh, yeah, because like they're they're clearly like pretty close and comfortable with with, with each other, likely be, because Shiro was part of the archery club for for quite a bit. Um, but at the same time, neither of them has any kind of romantic interest in each other. Yeah, um, and, and like so, yeah, there was like a, a friction to the relationship, like a, a push and pull of them like teasing and arguing and de- like uh, fucking around that like. Shiro isn't constantly on the back foot like he is with Rin and every other woman that he is interested in. Like, he is allowed to push back in a way that is fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I-, I liked this scene in the context of, like, oh, yeah, if Mitsuzuri is around more and, like, showed up more frequently, yeah, I'd be very into this. Um, you know, that's not how this game works, so. Yeah, I can well, I can tell you right now that so far from the future loops I have done, Mitsuzuri does not show up particularly Oh, cool! Often. Great! I love it! I think there's, like, a scene I've done with Fuck her in, in, in loops five through six. <laughs> Dude, I'm trying so hard to like this game, and it's fighting yeah. so hard not to let me. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, at night, uh, Shiro goes out for a walk alone again, this time patrolling the intersection. Again, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong here, but we do get red text describing the ragged breath of a running silhouette with its tongue hanging out. Uh, however, Shiro doesn't, seem, Shiro doesn't seem to notice the red text stuff. Uh, after finding nothing uh, wrong in the um, immediate area... Oh, good. Uh, it is Shiro doing the thing that Shiro does, like we saw oh, with him describing it. the uh, moon, where him... It, it is. It felt like willful ignorance. Yeah, that that's also... a. Uh, valid interpretation i think uh it's it it can be hard to tell when like shiro is actively ignoring things and when he simply doesn't notice things because of magic shit happening uh, uh so uh, i think the case is largely almost entirely that he is ignoring things it, it, it is a will i think it is almost entirely willful self-deception um yeah, that's true, because, like, there there are a few other, like, as we get further into these loops, like, there, we there get are, more evidence that Shiro is fully aware of exactly what's happening with the loops. There are moments where, like, he could push and chooses not to, because he, at, at, on some level, is at least aware he is, uh, he would be unhappy with what he finds. Yeah. Um, and, and so, it, it's, not only that, um... Also, like, on a thematic level, uh, uh, that feels like it would be most appropriate and most interesting. And also, like, Shiro as a character, like, that was never a character trait that was dealt with in Stay Night. Like, that, that is a thing yeah, he has never true. dealt with or engaged with. And it is a consistent character trait from all three roots. Like, it is a constant thing where Shiro will ignore the things that could potentially hurt him because he doesn't want to deal with them. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, because Heaven's Feel kind of, kind of did close the loop on his whole like survivor's guilt and self sacrifice thing, but it didn't really do anything about the fact that he likes to ignore stuff until the last possible moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, Shiro is historically incredibly willing to engage in self deception if it lets him live in a fantasy where things are fine, and um, 
the that's what this loop is. here. This is literally a a loop where it is a fantasy where everything is fine. Like yep, explicitly. So like Shiro willingly engaging in self deception is the thing that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I, I think you're most likely right there. Um, day four, uh, we start at the out- outskirts, um, which basically just means like the woods where Ilya's castle is. Uh, this scene is called No Trespassing. Shiro heads into the woods to visit Ilya, but Heracles's abs block his path. Um, I should paint a word picture because it's important for the joke landing. Like, the the scene as shown to you in, in the visual novel is the, the typical like wood for, wooded forest in the background and then literally just Heracles' torso. Like, close up his you you his head is cut off from the top of the screen you cannot see it and you cannot see his legs at all because his body is blocking too much of the view he takes up almost the entire screen it's very funny uh he asks if shiro asks if he can go talk to Ilya, but he can't get an intelligible answer from berserker mm-hmm. he tries to pass by but berserker roars Ilya eventually arrives and calls Her- calms Heracles down. And I should note that, like, Ilya appears on the screen by, like, peeking out from between, like, uh, Heracles' arm and, like, torso. <laughs> Almost like she's hiding behind him. Uh, it's very cute. Uh, However, uh, Ilya tells Shiro that her house is currently under construction, so she rejects his request to see the castle. Besides, there's no clues regarding the Grail War there either, so his time would be better spent in town. He persists to try and visit, though, just like Ilya figured he would, so she tells him that she'll prepare a special, prepare a special performance just for him, uh, and starts talking about, like, building moats and shit. <laughs> Uh, also her magic is apparently different than done. how it was before now she just sort of is uh all the power of the grail and just sort of wishes things into reality yeah yeah so she's going to use that unfathomable power to build a ninja warrior course for shiro mm-hmm. uh, frankly i think that's very kind of her yeah i i support Ilya. i support Ilya creating uh, absurd uh, obstacle courses it, it, just to torture her brother with. Ilya creating a fucking wipeout course. <laughs> yeah. It's like it fucking. Oh, never mind. Jesus. Uh, I- Ilya becoming the fucking slapstick version of Beto from uh, Umineko. <laughs> I one day I will fully get that joke, but I I uh-huh. can't. I've seen enough Umi Neko posts from people that I kind of have a good idea of like Beto's personality. Uh huh. Um, like ninety percent gremlin. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. Ninety percent is maybe even generous. <laughs> or conservative, you mean? Or yes, you know what I mean. Okay. Words are hard sometimes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that that scene's fine. It's it's cute to see Ilya just fuck with Shiro like that. Uh, yeah, it's otherwise fine. doesn't really set up anything here. Um, I don't Temple hate grounds. it, but like, oh sorry, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say I don't hate it, but like, man, I wish I liked it. <laughs> uh, the temple grounds. Uh, this scene is called Curse Collector. 
a strange boy is here looking for something. Uh, he very, he is very clearly Child Gilgamesh, and he offers a shockingly pleasant greeting to Shiro. Uh, Child Gil then says to Shiro, quote, It's still too soon for you to come here. When you know my name and you find something that seems to be important, something good may happen if you go back to the temple at this same time, end quote. He then immediately runs off. You haven't Great. activated this quest yet. Please come back <laughs> later. Yeah. Okay, game. Thank you. All right. Fuck off. Uh, uh, we get another night scene. Um, I actually quoted this verbatim because there's not much of it, and it seems kind of important because it's pre- presented in poetry form. Uh, and so the last night ends. The abnormal will return to normal. The curtains will close on this battle, and what should not have been possible will return to the void from which it come, came from. The clock will strike midnight in about 30 seconds. Once the date change, the four, changes, the fourth day will die out entirely. The moment the new day begins, all the time that has passed will be completely lost. This is the end. When I open my eyes, I'll be back to my normal everyday life. The Holy Grail War is over. The battle yields no victors. The abnormality remains unexplained. And the hollow paradise keeps on turning. Yeah, so basically Shiro is Groundhog Day. Yeah, and he's very well aware of it. Uh Uh-huh. Like, that was the first instance that had me, like, certain. Like, oh, Shiro. Shiro knows. Yeah. Like, you, you don't get in this deep without knowing in some capacity, and it doesn't read like that unless, like, you at least kind of know. Um, yeah. It, yeah, Shiro is, like, uh, it, basically, this loop is just straight up calling out, like, yeah, it's a loop, uh, uh, and uh, it is just going to eternally be cycling with nothing achieved. Almost like Shiro is treading water and afraid to move forward with his life and unwilling to give up the things that he's already lost. Uh, it's like it's almost like there's like themes or ideas here. <laughs> well, anyway, back to the fan disc shit. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Speaking of some fan disc shit, uh, day one of loop three uh, in at the seniors' classroom in the school. Uh, this is titled Fujine's Teacher Form. In the hallway before homeroom starts, Shiro and Taiga have a quick chat. She mentions that she's concerned that he's going to graduate soon, but doesn't seem to be taking his future seriously. Uh, then she uh. goes, <laughs> then she goads him into asking her what she wants to eat for dinner. Uh, Kuzuki briefly stops by to discuss the upcoming festival. Fest festival? What the fuck? Festival. <laughs> and Shiro is surprised to see her suddenly act very professional, a side he doesn't ever see. Uh, I love Fujine. She's such an asshole. Yeah. Uh, Senior's Classroom. Uh, This is titled Let's Go to Lunch. And I regret to inform the audience this is the first major Shinji scene. Uh, Shinji invites Shiro to go eat lunch with him out in the city. Uh, He claims to have found an amazing pasta place near his work. Shiro protests, saying they'll never make it back to school in time if they go all the way to sh- out to Shinto. Shinji tells him to just skip class, and for some reason, Shiro is, is about to relent. Thankfully, Issei intervenes. Quote, Fool, to bring down a fellow classmate to your level, that is unsightly, Mato. My classmate is being led astray by a delinquent's deceptive words. End quote. I love you, Issei. <laughs> uh, 
Issei then claims that Shiro already promised to eat lunch with him. Shio doesn't remember this, but he's been having memory trouble lately, and Issei doesn't usually lie. Issei invites him to this council room and says he'll even bring out his most prized tea leaves. Because Issei would be the type of person who has prized tea leaves. Sure. <laughs> this dude. Um, when Shinji tries to object, Issei explains that they've been communicating in code for the past three years. Issei and Shiro look at each other before end of homeroom. If Issei coughs first, they'd have lunch in the council room. And if Shiro coughs first, they'd they have it in the classroom. This is news to Shiro, who suddenly understands how Issei has been deciding on the meeting place all these years. <laughs> Shiro tries to get them Wait, to compromise. Oh, sorry, just sorry, the idea of Issei, like, having come up with this code all by himself and been executing it for three years <laughs> yeah and like shiro never catching on is genuinely so fucking funny yeah that's the thing is that if this were just a scene between shiro and and issei this scene would be very funny <laughs> it would be incredible oh just that joke is so powerful it's so yeah. good um shiro shiro tries to get them to compromise by eating lunch with both of them in the cafeteria but shinji refuses he's already resolved to go out to eat then he'll be going to a party with girls from western high both issei and shinji demand that shiro make a decision much to shinji's dismay he doesn't hesitate to pick issei (coughs) shinji leaves whining and sobbing like a pathetic dumbass he is and for a brief moment i thought this scene would kind of salvage itself from having Shinji in it in the first place. Absolutely fucking not. Unfortunately, the scene ends with Shinji having the last laugh, last laugh being fed by his army of female admirers. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not going to get into it on this scene because I can't do it. There's, there's two Shinji Yeah, there's a scene that, later that is uh, worse uh, that we can um, really... Uh, and I can't, I can't, I can't get that mad twice. It's not good for my blood pressure. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah it it sucks i fucking i hate shinji i hate shinji so much and i think what is done with shinji in this game so far is genuinely repugnant yeah yeah um all i'll say about this scene is that the isei segments are great and nothing else is (laughs) uh yep uh anyway um next there is no scene for like the uh the mid portion um then we get a, uh, we get like an actual new, um, going out at at patrol at night scene where uh, Shiro crosses the bridge towards Shinto. Um, as he does so, he considers how strange it is that he's just settled into his Grail War habits as if they were natural. Uh, suddenly, out of nowhere, his chest is blasted apart by a ball of energy. He sees his killer knock a second arrow. Archer, Hero Emiya, deals a fatal blow. It, so, uh, to be clear, it doesn't explicitly say it's Archer um, in the text, but, like, man, it's Archer. Yeah, like, we see his art. Like, it doesn't obscure him at all. Like, Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's just straight up Archer. Uh, so, yeah, and that's the end of Loop 3. It's a single day. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, loop 4. We finally get to some more Bizet scenes. Uh, Heavens Feel Back Night 2. Man, this scene's great. I love when this game chooses to have a plot. It's wonderful. Uh Uh-huh. The narrator can feel themselves being reborn. Each time their body is rebuilt, every part generates pain. 
quote, it feels as if I have been multiplied into a hundred people, all of whom have been mixed on a pallet. Whatever identity I had is gone as the countless indistinguishable indistinguishable beings I have become melt together, end quote. They have attained a state of no self where they feel neither happiness nor sorrow. Only one thing is still painful and they ask and they ask themselves why they are connected to something so beautiful. We're back at the first day in the mansion. Bazette's servant is our narrator and observes his master lying dead on the sofa due to saber piercing her heart. She'll start breathing eventually, though, so he doesn't bother burying her. In a scene that fucking yeah, Nasu, uh, I, yeah, I mean, we don't have to like so, summarize it. Uh, he basically yeah. says, "Yeah, uh, I would normally uh, fuck her corpse," um, and explicitly is a necrophiliac, uh, which is cool. Great, thanks, Nasu. Yeah, we really needed that. Um, however, he decides not to because she's his master. Um, instead, he plays around with the sliding tile puzzle. Uh, eventually, Bazette wakes up, her memory more intact b- than before, and asks him how they could still be alive. He explains he can't do real time travel, but he can do an imitation. As long as their contract is active, she can start over as many times as she wants. Uh, um, he asks her to dry- try to die at night since he's not very active in the day. So I, one thing I do want to point out is he never explicitly says he is the one doing it. She makes that assumption, and he points out that she is kind of misunderstanding something there, but it's close enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the implication is, like, he is at least connected to why she is resetting, but it is not actually his noble phantasm. Yeah. Uh, she misinterprets him to mean that he that it, that the resurrection can only work at night, but he doesn't bother correcting her. Uh, since his combat abilities are weak, uh, Bazette resolves to defeat the, the servants herself. She also asks if there is a way to make revival less painful. The place where she goes after death is repulsive and seems very much like hell to her. However, he tells her that's just the price she'll have to put up with for resurrection. Before they leave to defeat Saber, Bazette asks him what, his class, what class he is. This time, he answers honestly. Avenger. They soon run into a pack of about 20 monsters that Bazette defeats easily. Avenger simply watches the carnage unfold and is very impressed with her fighting skills. After the fighting is over, she speculates they must have been summoned by an 8th Magus. Avenger claims to not know anything and tells her not to think about it too much, since they'll eventually run into, run into whoever it is anyway. Um, Bazette then tries asking Avenger what his true name is, since her memory is still fuzzy and she doesn't want to wait around for it to come back. He says he doesn't have a name as a human being, but he does have a title that other people called him, Angra Mainyu. Through their mental connection, he can, sent Baz- he can sense Bazette's confusion, as hazy memories tell her that she had a servant with a different, more endearing name. Avenger teases her, asking what type of men she's into. She doesn't answer, so he then asks if she's more into women instead. Quote, never would have guessed that manly suit was for business and pleasure, end quote. Say, listen, Bazette, same. Same, girl. <laughs> I feel you. It do be like that. Bazette uh, insists she doesn't let personal feelings interfere with her work. However, she did All have... Right. Fe- <laughs> However, she did have feelings of attachment to a particular heroic spirit. He was someone she had wanted to meet, but wasn't sure if he actually existed. When she was a child, she hadn't been interested in anything and couldn't understand what others considered fun. 
There was one thing that enthralled her, though, a book she found in her family's study filled with old legends that made her sad. The story she loved most had a sad ending, and as a child, she wanted to save him, but also wondered if it was okay to even wish to save him. Uh, uh, it, it's Kukulin. It, it is yes. like blatantly yeah. Kukulin. Uh, <laughs> Kukulin's myth ends with him basically uh, having killed most of the people he loved in his life, or not even most of the people, uh, several people who were important to him, his oath to the goddess broken, and him dying. Uh, he is basically facing an army all by himself. He chains himself up to a stone uh, and so that he, when he dies, he will still be on his feet. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, like, uh, there will be a Lancer scene in a future loops we do where he goes over his backstory. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yes, he he is important <laughs> to Bizet's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's event- weird. You're telling me the person <laughs> whose entire identity is around herself, the Irish person whose entire identity is around herself as solely a weapon who has no idea how to interact with people or care for them in a way, uh, uh, identifies heavily with the other character whose uh, name is literally the Hound of Cullen. Like, yeah. th- that is what Kukulin means. Like, he is the hound of a specific yeah. ruler. Like, what, what's what's, interest- what's interesting about, like, Bizet's, um feelings here is that it's almost like the, the polar opposite of um, Shiro? Sh- Shiro's, where, like, yes. from day one, he was like, oh, I gotta save this girl. <laughs> well, uh, everything like, about her is the polar opposite of Shiro. Uh, like, she she is, is a person who views herself solely as a weapon who is unable to create or do anything uh, other than destroy and inflict violence, whereas Shiro is a person who the entirety of fate stay night was unable to inflict violence in any real meaningful way and was only able to access that after being given it by Archer for the most part. Um, yeah. Like, he, down to their abilities, uh, whatever fucking, um, whack ass shit she can do with Rock, uh, she is a person who can inflict violence and only views herself as a weapon. And Shiro's entire thing is, yeah, I can, I can make stuff. I can fix stuff. Like. Yeah. Nasu is not subtle. <laughs> uh, Avenger laughs and tells her she's not selfish enough. Bazette insists she has Where no intent. Where have we heard that before? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, Bazette insists she has no intention to use the grail on that desire. She'll secure the grail and bring it back to the association. Mm-hmm. It's almost like she's a hound for a particular yeah, organization. Uh-huh. Weird, weird, weird. Uh, Nasu, man, do more shit like this. You don't gotta yeah. be sneaky. You don't got. Listen, I love it when you just do shit. Obviously, I I pointed it and I go, I know that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, she was just hoping she'd be able to summon that hero as her servant. Um, she asks Avenger what his wish is, and he deflects by joking that he wants to finish a picture. Bazette tries to puzzle out what he means by that, not realizing that he's not actually being deep or anything. He just wants to finish the sliding puzzle. (laughs) Uh, Just then, they notice a burst of magical energy coming from the top of a nearby skyscraper, and Bazette rushes after it. Aventure follows behind, trying to figure out what's inside the tube that she's carrying. He decides to just ask ask her directly, and she opens it to reveal three balls about the same size and mass of shot put balls. 
He asks her what they are, but decides to not to dig dignify that. But she decides not to dignify him with an explanation. Then puts the then puts the spheres away. They eventually make their way up to the top of the skyscraper, but find it empty. However, Bazette was able to use their vantage point to find more monsters roaming the city. She wants to take them out before they can hurt other people. Avenger points out that she seems to have contradictory goals and is sure this argument will end in a fight. Instead, she admits he's correct. Her objective isn't to save others, but she does want to correct what is wrong. He speculates out loud about what her reasons might be for thinking that way, but she claims that reasons are not needed for doing what one believes is right. Hmm. Again, (laughs) we're getting, like, reflections of Shiro. Parallelism. Like, Nasu, man, yes, I love you. Thank you for just, we're just laying it out there. We're just being blatantly obvious. It's great. Yeah, he says the way she thinks is fucked up, and she tells him she already knows that. Avenger isn't too impressed and believes that the only people who say they want to do the right thing are people who are currently not doing the right thing. He tells her she must want to be a virtuous person. Person. Uh, She admits that's probably true, but it's something she can never be. Quote, I am a person that is only appreciated for destroying. Virtue belongs to those that can be intimate with others, that are able to give to others. It is something that I will never do. End quote. Uh, Okay, so... This scene, I love this scene so much because it's It's not doing the shit I love. Um, And coming up, uh, uh, Avenger is going to talk about how, like, uh, uh, the idea of wanting to be virtuous like that is, frankly, fundamentally kind of absurd. Yeah, Um, I I have the direct quotes if you want to read. Oh, yeah, if you have the direct quotes, absolutely, go for it. Yeah, so Avenger gets legitimately angry for once, like not in a joking around way, and tells her she's way off base. Quote, virtue is the stuff of the soul. That's not something you earn. You You develop it inside of yourself, suffering all along the way, end quote. He thinks to himself that there is no line drawn between good and evil. It is only those that aim for their peak as living beings that the door of enlightenment opens for. In Avenger's view, increasing one's value to others is why the concept of virtue exists as a way to improve oneself. However, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with that. Quote, it's okay to be proud of the desire to be accepted by others, end quote. He still hates the word justice, but he likes where Bazette's goals are going. Yeah, and so, like, uh, um, this is a really powerful counterpoint to... So the entire first game is this deconstruction of Shiro's desire to be a quote-unquote hero of justice. Um, And part of the reason for Shiro's desire is it is a wholly selfish desire that is fundamentally disconnected from the reality of caring for people around him. And like the idea of being virtuous is one that is bound up entirely in ideals rather than like in anything real or in any real care that is needed for the people around him. Uh, And like uh, uh, Avenger here is bringing up specifically an idea that virtue is something defined communally and through interaction and like through actual care for the people around us and that there is nothing wrong with it being defined like that, with that being where we get value from. Um, um, this desire, uh, uh, Bazette has 
for both being virtuous while firmly believing that she never can be is the most Catholic thing I've ever heard. Yeah. (laughs) It's the most Catholic thing possible. Like, I hear that shit and I'm like, oh, honey, you're Irish Catholic, huh? Uh Like, you ain't just just Irish, you ain't just Catholic, you Irish Catholic. And it's like, yikes, yeah, okay, all right, I see you, Bizet. Yeah, I feel you, honey. Um, But that specific desire uh, uh, also, like, speaks to a uh, almost surrender of agency. Um, and it is, it is interesting in comparison to Shiro, who is in Fate Stay Night, who is so divorced from, uh, from reality, from, uh, uh, any real connection to people as he goes about his moves. Yeah. Like Shiro's whole deal in, in the first two arcs of Fate is that he kind of doesn't give a shit what people think about his ideals. He's going to do it because... Like, that's just what he's going to do. He wants to be a hero, and regardless of, like, how people view him, that's what's that's what he's going to do. Regardless of how he feels about it. Yeah. Like, uh, on multiple Even occasions, his own he's described as a automaton. Like, yeah. it, is, it is not a thing he wants to do. It is a thing he is going to do. It is, like, a thing he explicitly says at one point. Whereas, like, Bazette here is the opposite she has so many feelings about this thing and feels obligated to do it anyway. And like, that's interesting. I like that comparison against Shiro. That is a very interesting one. I want to yeah. see more of it. Shame that Bazette is not just the per- er, perspective character or a swapping back and forth more consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. When this game has a plot, it's great. Yep. Uh, we now cut to Bazette's perspective. She's not totally satisfied by knowing the title Angra Mainyu and resolves to eventually get his real name out of him, for his sake. Right now, though, she's more concerned about the monsters. They appear to be operating under orders, but do not possess an intelligence of their own. She also noticed during her last fight that while Avenger might not be great at combat, he has an extremely good defensive style that pairs well with her own. As she's thinking about this, a stronger wind blows uh, past her. The the oh, style she talks about is specifically um, that uh, he basically is never gonna win, but he's never gonna lose. Like yeah, he he just will keep things at bay permanently and eternally with no resolution ever achi- being achieved. You know, sort of like <laughs> Angermainu keeps saying in the back of his head about how Baz- things are gonna go for Bazette, uh, how there will be no resolution for her here. Uh, and how the loop is just her flailing around, and there is no solution or ending in sight inside the loop. Yeah, like that—that that is a thing he <laughs> basically explicitly says uh, uh, as the narration rather than out loud, um, just over and over. Like there is no resolution, there is no satisfaction, there is no ending to be found in the loop. Uh, as she's thinking about this, a stronger wind blows past her, and she catches the flowing hair of a certain uh, a servant standing next to her. He appears to be a primeval shaman. Then, just as suddenly, the vision disappears, and Avenger doesn't seem to have noticed anything. Congerman con- got hot for a second. <laughs> a contradictory thought crosses her mind. Avenger is hopelessly evil, but could it be that he loves the human world just as much? I mean, yes, like, yes, like we, we, we see it as much. Yes. 
Yeah. Anyway, off to like whatever the fuck Shiro's doing. Do we have to? I want to stay with Bazette. Bazette's cool. Shiro sucks. No, sorry. The fate fate Bazette's dictates that. Bazette's cool. I hate yeah. Shiro, man. You can't give me a cool protagonist <laughs> and then take her away. Yeah. No. <laughs> sorry. I am uh, too. So. This next scene is titled Her Holiday Villa, Murder at the Empty Mansion, because it's kind of like two scenes in one. Oh, this scene actually is great because I think it actually is important. Yeah. Uh, Shiro heard a rumor that there is a Western-style house in the forest beyond the church, and nobody knows where it came from. He's he's decided to investigate investigate it himself and manages to find it. At this point, like, upon finding it, like, you're you're given a... uh, choice here uh because shiro's like there's no reason for me to go in i shouldn't do this this is dumb i should just go back and you can either you can either choose to like ignore it and go back home or you can go in Uh, Uh, the tone like he is saying it though is like the same tone he uses when uh, in fate stay night when he is like trying to convince himself to go back to pretending things are fine. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Like, like the shit in uh, uh, Heaven's Feel when he is trying to pretend that Sakura isn't out there eating people. Yeah. Um, if you have him go into the house, uh, it occurs to him that he probably shouldn't be doing this, but he's already here, so he continues on regardless. However, some part of his head insists that he shouldn't go in there. He walks in the front door and heads up a staircase to find a pretty normal-looking room that is also surprisingly clean for being an abandoned building. The layer of dust on the floor suggests it's been about six months since anyone has used the house. Shiro seems to recognize this place as the room where Bazette and Avenger would recover after being killed, but he doesn't find any evidence of their existence. Another voice in his head says, quote, That's what I was saying. There's no point in looking here. End quote. He feel, he suddenly feels dizzy, and for a moment sees an image that wasn't his own reflected in his eyes. The thought that crosses his mind suddenly vanishes, and he can no longer remember why he was searching this house. Uh, quick note, um, six months is the time between the Holy Grail War ending and Fate Hollow Ataraxia beginning. Uh, also, uh, the other thing that I think is important to say is the voice in his head explicitly says, uh, uh, Bazette and Avenger don't exist. Or don't exist here. Um, Which is important because it it ties into what my theory of this is, uh, which is they are basically uh, uh, mirrors uh, on different sides of the world. Like, you have Shiro. Like, they're both occupying the same space. They are both stuck in the same loop. But, like, they are essentially occupying mirror planes. Parallel universes. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I can Um, see that. It, with the world Shiro it being in being functionally a um uh a, a a dream existence basically created to give him the things he wants because he's afraid of moving forward um and Bazette occupying the real world or something similar to it hmm interesting I legitimately because, don't know the answer to that, that uh, oh yeah no I I don't either <laughs> that is just my guess here because of you know all of the blatant hints that it's be that are being given to us and yeah. the fact that like multiple people so the people who should be dead are the people who have more information like Ilya has more information than she should uh, uh, um 
writer has more information than she should. Uh, uh, Child has, Gilgamesh. <laughs> Child Gilgamesh explicitly has more information than he should. Saber has much more information. Or it seems like she has more information than she should. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Saber specifically uh, definitely has more information than she should and also doesn't seem to be Saber. Uh, based is on that the an upcoming ending, scene? The the final night walk. Oh, oh! I think I know what you mean, but I I, I can't remember. It, we we it, will get there because there yeah. is a a specific line that had me like, yo, yeah, because it because it's been because I have to do these in advance, so it's been yeah. a while since I've actually played through these scenes. Yes. So I can't remember specifically what you're referring to, but it might be in my summary. We'll see. Okay. Um. Anyway, uh, we then move on to uh, the temple grounds again. Uh, this scene is called On the Verge of a Dream. Seeing as the Grail War has kind of sort of restarted, Shiro decides to check in on Caster to make sure she hasn't been plotting anything. He tries to ask her politely, but is still straightforward about his concerns. Quote, You asked some interesting questions, boy, she replies. Talking to me in a place like this, really? Do you want to be killed and buried where no one will ever find you, I wonder? End quote. All right, Lady Luck. <laughs> Look, I default to that voice because that's what Caster is, okay? I mean, like, you're right. Like, no, I want to be clear. You're right. Um, yeah. Uh, Shiro quickly changes course and asks if she's noticed anything odd in town recently. She says she hasn't seen anything and insists she's not responsible for whatever is going on. She also doesn't intend to fight the other servants since it would be a waste of magical energy. He asks Caster if she considers him to be an eyesore. She admits she does feel that way. Even in peace, it's hard to forget that she lost to him, and his immature sense of justice just makes him even more irritating to deal with when she's in a bad mood. Shiro speculates that she doesn't take action against him because persevering, because preserve, preserving her tranquil uh, life at the temple is more important to her. She doesn't admit to anything, but she does warn him that if he becomes even a little less pure of a human being, she'll crush him. She also reveals that there that there's no damage to the town and nothing will get worse. She then cryptically adds, quote, That's right, this is all this is all but a short dream. Nothing will happen and it will yeah. all go back to normal, end quote. Uh-huh. Hey, remember when he was like, Hey, nothing will happen in the loop to or when a vendor was like, Hey, nothing will happen uh or will be resolved about uh Bazette in the loop like again we have Ryder a person who is supposed to be dead actively uh, refusing to help or interact with the world because any further information can disturb that and she would like to not be dead it seems like oh you mean Caster or Caster yeah 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 she's um, just she's having a good time hanging out with her husband <laughs> yeah she'd like to not be dead um uh, uh Shiro doesn't seem phased by her speaking like this at all uh before he leaves caster tells him not to go to near the church at night since the opponent there is not someone he can handle yeah again why do you have this information caster yeah um here we have a uh, next we actually have a pretty good scene with Ryder. um this one is yeah. in the emia residence in Ryder's room uh called monster uh, Shiro asks Ryder what she thinks about the Holy Grail res war restarting. She says anything is fine by her as long as long as Sakura remains unharmed, even if that means that the whole town is destroyed. 
In addition, if Sakura wants to win, then she is prepared to do anything, including creating an even larger blood fort that would put Caster to shame. She admits that she's normally a passive person and is unused to acting on her own. However, if needed, she would not hesitate uh, to kill without mercy or pity. Shiro refuses to believe that she could flip that switch so easily after living together under the same roof for six months. Ryder tells him that she is a monster. She has been challenged by many brave warriors and has devoured all of them. Shiro says he knows the Medusa myth, but it wasn't all but it wasn't her fault that she was turned into a monster and then hunted. She was protecting herself from intruders. Ryder insists that even though a heroic spirit represents who she was the, at, at her peak as a hero, there is still a side of her that turns into a monster. She's not as human as he imagines. It would be impossible for him to comprehend just how many people she killed and what part of her and what that part of her matured into. Even she has trouble imagining it. Ryder warns him that she will go sicko mode if she needs to. Yeah. Uh, Shiro admits that it's pathetic to say, but all he can say is, quote, don't do it, end quote. <laughs> yeah, man, you are pathetic. Shiro, shut the fuck up. Uh, she then smiles and, and admits that she was deliberately trying to make him uncomfortable with her speech. His misconceptions uh, made her happy, but also troubled her. Uh, it, it seems like she is, like, trying to put the genie back in the bottle a little bit and like trying to walk it back and be like, no, no, I was just, I was just like trying to make you uncomfortable. I didn't like, you know, really mean it when it's like, no, it, it definitely seemed like you meant it. It definitely (laughs) seemed like you were being pretty clear. Like I will murder your bitch ass if you make me. Yeah. But also there, there is a part of her that like, like Shiro and yeah, (laughs) I I think, I I think there is a part here that like Shiro, she would still murder him. Yeah. In a heartbeat. Like, she, if, if Sakura asked her to murder uh, Ishiro, there would be no hesitation. Yeah. It would uh, be that instant. Yeah, because ultimately Sakura is the only person she, like, truly 100% cares about. Uh-huh. Um, she wanted him to yeah, be I aware. Wonder, I wonder if she cares enough about Sakura that she will be an active impediment to removing a dream world where she is actively happy and has her family and her family isn't horrible monsters. Yeah. I wonder if, if that's a thing that, um, that writer would think is good. Yeah. Our universe where like Shinji's biggest crime is just being a shithead. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, she wanted him to be aware of the whole truth. Her threatening aura vanishes and she goes back to being her typical self. She apologizes for making him worry, but also warns him that she will become a monster when the time comes. Shiro tells her he'll steal his resolve for that time, but he's confident that so long as Sakura is her master, that time will never come. Uh, day two uh, um, at the Tosaka residence. So oh, sorry, I believe there is one part here as well where uh, oh, sure. uh, Ryder basically talks about well, what if Sakura were to lose her way. Uh, and Shiro says, uh, if Sakura were to lose her way, I would have no choice but to resist. And, like, did Heavensfield happen or not? Yeah, uh uh-huh. I need you, I need you to decide. Because I feel like we've dealt with this question. It's called Heavensfield. Yeah. That was the whole route. And the 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 conclusion we came to was not that. Yeah. <sighs> I, like, 
I really liked this scene up until that line dropped, and I was like, I started to lose my fucking mind, because it's like, bro, pick one. You can't both have Heaven's Feel and not have Heaven's Feel. You have to decide. You have to decide. <laughs> Heaven's yeah. Feel is fundamentally antithetical with the other two roots, because it requires the other two roots being wrong to work. Yeah, it's very bizarre, the stuff they, they decide to walk back. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, day two starts at the Tosaka residence. Um, this scene is titled Cleaning Alone. Since Rin is away in Britain, she's asked Shiro to clean her house from time to time. Yeah. Uh, he recites the incantation Rin taught him to open the lock and enters the house. He doesn't have much experience cleaning a Western-style house, though, and he's somewhat intimidated by how many fragile-looking things are decorating the rooms. He starts by letting some light in through the curtains, and briefly remembers that there's a storage room under the stairs that probably contains the cleaning supplies. The same storage room Rin told him he'd have to sleep in if he became her live-in apprentice. <laughs> Rin just keeping him in the fucking dungeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh... Uh, I think this is also where, like, he makes a Harry Potter joke, which just, like, fucking brain-blasted me. Yeah. Because for it, some reason, I was under the impression that Hollow Ataraxia was older than Harry Potter, but it is not. No, it's, like, what, 2002? Uh, I think it's older than that, even. Um, no, because uh, oh, uh, Speed oh, mean, was 99. Oh, you mean, sorry, you mean uh, uh, Hollow Ataraxia is, came out in 2005. Oh, yeah, it's way after Harry Potter. Okay, yeah. Oh, sorry, you were talking about Harry Potter's uh, release date. My apologies. I no, no, no. We I, I thought Hollow Potter actually was 2002. I was, I was misspeaking. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Harry Potter, like, Harry Potter 1 is like 99. Yeah. And also, it's just wild that... I guess it was a global success, so it's not... It shouldn't be that surprising. But also, yeah, but... it was weird to see it referenced in, in this of all places. Oh, for sure. Like, it's, it's not not weird. I want to be clear. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, after doing a bit of cle cleaning, Shiro decides to explore the basement and is surprised to find workout, workout equipment among all the magical ritual stuff he was actually expecting. Um, this, this will lead to a very funny scene in, in, in the parts that we will be discussing in another episode. Oh, that's neat. I, I do like the implication that, like, yeah, she has workout gear, but she hides it because she feels... Uh, uh, because she has to keep up the image of, uh, no, I, I don't have to put any effort in to look this good, uh, even though she puts <laughs> in a lot of effort. Uh, Rin puts so much effort into literally everything. I know, it's great. I love Rin. Uh, she's wonderful. Um, uh, anyway, uh, back at the Emia residence in Ryder's room, uh, we have a, uh, scene titled Ryder Reading and the Jealous Sakura. Uh, Shiro is hanging out in Ryder's room to do some reading. It's not the first time they've read together like this, but this time Ryder asks him if he's happy to be with her. She notices a look of uh, consternation on his face. He says he's just not used to the type of printing in the book he's reading. He does like the atmosphere in her room. He asks her if his presence bothers her. She says she also doesn't mind. Shiro decides to move on to a different book and is surprised to see so many romance novels. He asks Ryder if she's read these kinds of books. She says she wasn't much into the one he's holding, though. He takes that to mean it's not so great and picks up a short one about a swordsman instead. Of course he does. <laughs> My man wants to fuck a sword. I don't know what to tell you. 
He is never not on brand. <laughs> Ryder can sense that Shiro feels self-conscious about possibly being a bother, so she asks him what books he tends to read. Quote, I read everything, but I don't really get attached to anything in particular, he replies. The, re the reason I'm here is because of your influence as an ardent reader, end quote. Um, she responds with amusement that it's just like him to have no particular taste. <laughs> it is. That's maybe the meanest thing she could say, and it's great. Uh, she admits that she also doesn't have a specific genre she likes. However, for her, reading itself is an interest. He asks if she's encountered uh, any books she especially likes. She says there have been a few that she thinks were particularly well done. He then remarks that she might enjoy picking up another hobby, so that way there'd be more than one activity she enjoyed, which is really ironic for Cheryl, of all people, to say. A mm writer -hmm. uh, thinks her life is already sufficiently comfortable. Uh, then, with a somewhat evil smile, she remarks, quote, If I say that I am doing something when you are not looking, would you believe me? End quote. Seeing that she's flustered him, she adds that she's definitely not sucking blood or anything like that. She just has her yeah, own way of having thinking. fun. <laughs> uh, just then, Sakura knocks on the door. Ryder tells her to come in. Sakura says she has something she needs to ask her, but then she notices Shiro. He tells her he's just here to read and not to mind him at all, but if it's a serious matter, then he's fine leaving. However, Sakura remembers something urgent and asks if she can speak to him about something, too. Ryder asks Sakura what she wanted to talk to her about, but Sakura says it's okay and she'll just talk with Ryder later. After a brief, brief moment of tension, Ryder seems to understand what's going on and apologizes to Sakura. This greatly embarrasses her, who takes, uh, and she takes Shiro's hand and drags him out of the room. Shiro, who has no idea what's going on... Ryder is just apologizing the whole time. Yeah. Uh... Shira asks what if this is about dinner. Uh, Sakura asks like she's about to explain herself, then suddenly goes silent and claims she's forgotten what she was going to ask. Shira remarks that she must be working herself too hard again and says he'll take care of dinner. He's about to head back to Ryder's room when so Sakura suddenly stops him and insists they get started on dinner right now. Shira thinks it's too early, but Sakura makes a reasonably convincing argument that they have to cook for a lot of people these days. He agrees, then goes back to Sakura's room to ask her what she'd like. Sakura again stops him. He can tell she's acting strange, but he decides to play along. Um, yeah, uh, Sakura's jealous. I I wish that we had their actual previous relationship to build the, off of on this scene. Yeah, also, like, this seems to come out of completely nowhere, to the point where, like, I wasn't sure what they were getting at until I read the title of the scene afterwards. Um, because initially, like, it seems like Sakura has something that she wanted to ask Ryder that was just, like, embarrassing or something, um, and didn't want to say it in front of Shiro. Uh, but then that isn't consistent, like, with her wanting to stop Shiro from going to see Ryder. Um, so, like... The actual explanation of Sakura being jealous makes more sense in terms of, like, why this event goes goes the way it does. But I don't understand why Sakura is jealous of Ryder, <laughs> of all people. Uh, I mean, it, it's because she and Shiro are spending time together alone in her room. Like, I guess. It's dumb bandisk shit. Like, I don't know yeah. what to tell you, man. Yeah, it just... I don't know, it just seems really 
silly that Sakura would get jealous of that. Um, because clearly Shiro and Ryder don't have anywhere near that type of relationship. Like, when Sakura was feeling jealous and inferior in regards to Rin, that made more sense because, like, Rin does have a... Because that wasn't about Shiro. Yeah. Like, in no way was any part of that relationship about Shiro. It's because she felt insecure and inferior to Rin. That entire dynamic was about her relationship with uh, uh, with Rin, not about her relationship with Shiro. Shiro is incidental. Yeah. And, like, even, even in that scenario, like, Rin actually was attracted to Shiro. Uh, yeah. Even also, if you, yeah. Even if you want to go that route. Like, there is actually more justification for it um whereas Ryder is just like Sakura's mom <laughs> and and she's yeah. merely friendly with Shiro in the way that roommates are friendly with each other I'm gonna be so annoyed if there's a porn scene with Ryder don't tell me okay <laughs> you're gonna tell me there is and I'm gonna be annoyed I won't say anything yeah, no, that's fair. All right. Uh, so moving on to the night scene, uh, this is in Saber's room after. Uh, actually, no, it's not in. For some reason, like the spot on the map you click on is Saber's room, but it's actually like in, in the, the living, living room. room for some reason. Um, this scene is called Tip and Chips. Uh, Ryder and Taiga are playing Old Maid together. Ryder is winning, being able to easily read Taiga's facial cues. Sakura is also able to easily beat Taiga, but she does uh but she does her the courtesy of looking apologetic about it. <laughs> Sakura suggests that they try something other than old maid uh, in an attempt to like give Taiga oh a game. Oh my god, let's play something that isn't to gonna beat your ass. Yeah. And uh searches her mind for a game that could play uh where Tiger's poker face won't terrible poker face won't matter as much. Eventually, the group settles on Blackjack. However, Tyga's habit to never want to stop doesn't work in her favor. <laughs> yeah! S- Saber, however... Just hitting on 19! Yeah, uh-huh. Saber, however, has, nat- has a naturally high luck stat and dominates Blackjack. I want a I scene of them getting into gotcha. Oh, man. Saber would always pull the... Like, always get the five-star on, like, the first pull. Uh-huh. And Taiga would pull fucking all. Yeah. Uh, Shiro would be like, how many times have you bought the the best value gem pack? Taiga would insist, well, no, if I buy the best value gem pack and I buy it in bulk, uh, it, it it's saving money. It's basically making money. Yeah, I, I'd be losing money not doing this. Uh, Taiga. <laughs> Uh, Shiro brings TNT cakes out for the group. When no one other than Saber reaches for them, he asks what's going on. Sakura reveals that Taiga had coerced them into gambling with food from the start. Shiro, who will not stand for gambling on the premises, decides to punish her by forbidding uh, only Taiga from eating eating the tea cakes. Uh, I, I think the thing is, is, specifically, it's not gambling that he has the issue with. It's gambling and then no one eating his food. <laughs> Like that—that that was the read I got. He got—he wasn't mad that they were gambling. He was mad that they gambled the fact that they wouldn't eat his food and the food would all go to waste. <laughs> yeah, that too. Uh, but I love that the way he punishes Taiga is to forbid only her from eating the ta- 
eating the tea cakes. And as he like proclaims his judgment, he deliberately tr- places one in front of Saber, who is looking extremely happy. <laughs> Saber's just looking like the cat who got the canary. Oh, God. It's a delight. Saber is such a shithead. Uh, Saber is such a wonderful character, like when she is given a chance to like be a character. I know. I love when she is allowed to exist on screen. It's a shame that like this is a fan disc sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh beginning of day three, uh where in the, the toy store again, this scene is called Killing and a Fancy Bear. During one of Ilya's visits to Shiro's house, she happened to catch Saber walking around with her stuffed lion. After teasing her for a while, Ilya declared that she wanted one too, so Shiro has taken her to the store to buy a stuffed toy. Uh, after Nasu writes some lollycon jokes that I am choosing to skip over, Ilya eventually finds a plush of a lazy cat that she likes and asks Shiro if it's good. Um, I choose to believe that Ilya is picking out Neko Arc. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, we didn't mention it before. There's one point where Taiga's eyes go full Neko arc, and I was literally yeah. just thinking, Neko Taiga, what yeah. if? Ah, oh, yes. Um, the chaos energy would be unmatched. <laughs> Neko Taiga for the next Melty Blood type Lumina character. Uh, listen, I got Alko. I don't care who else shows up. I will play everybody. <laughs> Alko is here. I'm about to go fucking ape shit. Oh, I cannot wait. About to <laughs> fucking look sick in a pair of jeans and a white t-shirt and nobody can stop me. I love Aka. I love that that's what her outfit is. It's yeah, just... it's perfect. <laughs> uh, he said, My uh, girl is looking fit. She's about to drop some mines on you. She's going to make you deal with Oki, and you're just going to have to hold that. Learn to block. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Shiro says he doesn't really know um, what makes a stuffed animal good, but if she likes it, it's probably fine. She says he he should take it seriously, since it's going to be his new body. He asks her what she means by that, but she just replies it's a secret and starts looking at other options. Haha, don't worry about it. Haha, your body isn't human. Haha, you're a puppet. Haha. We can put your soul into anything we choose. (laughs) Um, Yeah, which, like, again, that is another one of those instances of, like, hey, Ilya, why do you know this much? You're dead, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, technically, she's the one who made his body like that, even before she died for good, but yeah. (laughs) Also, like, death is maybe a strong word for what happened to her. Yeah, she ascended to, like, some sort of higher plane of existence. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She's just the grail now. Um, I mean, yes. Probably. Sort of, her body ascended to wizard heaven, I guess. Where you don't have to be a wizard no more. You can just vibe and yeah. not have to murder people. Just, just chill out with your mom who also became the grail. Uh, anyway, uh, at the harbor, um, we have another scene with Lancer. This one is called Lancer's Heaven 1. Lancer is sitting here fishing again. Uh, Shiro, asks oh, yeah. him, Shiro asks him how it's going and he replies that he's caught a few fish already. Shiro's pretty impressed that he's been fishing all day without a stand for his fishing rod. He asked Lancer where he got the rod from. Uh, quote, yeah, it was all thanks to one generous guy. I spent all day straightening, straightening out that bent back of his, and he gave me this as a token of appreciation. For some reason, I never saw him again, end quote. Shiro thinks to himself that that sounds more like extortion. Lancer then reveals it was Shinji, and suddenly I don't care that Lancer was bullying him. <laughs> 
Yeah, he beat the shit out of Shinji and stole his fishing rod, and I was like, good. Hell yeah, Lancer. Him. Kill him love, with that. Use him as bait. Love you, buddy. Uh, Lancer says he finds fishing to be a fun exercise, and he honestly thinks it's, he and uh, he honestly thinks that he's the best angler out of all the servants. He's probably right. Yeah, probably. Uh, I, I mean, who's going to be a better fisher? Yeah, M- uh, maybe Ryder. Like, I guess maybe. I don't think Ryder has the patience. Yeah, no. Saber uh, definitely wouldn't. Fuck no, Saber would be terrible at fishing. <laughs> She just try to like, be like, why can't I dive into the water and attack them on their turf? Yeah. Why, why can I not shoot these fish with my Excalibur? <laughs> well, I simply feel it is foolish for us to wait for them to come to us and we must take the engagement to them. Yeah. Now, now I'm thinking about a scene where like Saber just dives underwater and because she's a servant, she doesn't actually need to breathe. So she's just like combating fish under the ocean and I'm having a good uh-huh. time. Uh, Man, that would be a great doujin. I sure wish that this <laughs> game didn't decide it wanted to be comprised of 300 doujins and, like, yeah. one doujin that has actual plot. Look, the more we do this, the more I start thinking, you know, I could just learn how to use Ren-P. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh-huh, I could just could. make the saver route I want to see in the world. <laughs> you could. Uh-huh. <laughs> Listen, we could rip those files, the uh, sprite files, super easily. I have ripped the sprite files already. <laughs> See, you've done half the work. I literally went to college to be an editor. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's that's something to consider another day. Uh, anyway, that's the end of that scene. Um, we return to uh, the living room of the Emiya house for the night scene. This one is called Stray Tiger. Shiro tries to go to sleep, only to be interrupted by Tiger attack by said Tiger by Taiga attacking him. Uh, she's bored and wants Shiro to do something with her before she heads back to her own house. Um, they eventually decide to have a serious chat about Shiro's future, which he's been putting off for a while. Before they get started, though, Shiro goes to the kitchen to make some tea. By the time he gets back, Taiga has already dozed off. He puts a blanket over her, drinks the tea he made, and then goes out to the living room to find a spot to sleep. Yeah, again, like, we have, um, gesturing towards, like, thematic ideas of Shiro being unwilling to move forward, unwilling to discuss, uh, what his future looks like or what the shape of it is, and people around him being worried about that and pushing it forward, um, uh, Taiga also is like not a person who seems clued into the loop in the same way that Ilya is because the whole not having died thing. Yeah. Like, Taiga seems like regular Taiga. Yeah. Taiga's just like here. <laughs> She's just doing her Taiga things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I like the scene. I actually like the scene a lot. Yeah, it's it's really sweet, actually. It's very sweet. It establishes a relationship. It uh, grounds themes that we've got building up and like reiterates them. It is doing something in a game where a lot of scenes don't feel like they're doing that. Yeah, and it also it's also like another scene where even though Taiga is very much a goofball and is frequently causing Shiro a lot of grief uh, with her antics, um, she also does like really care about him. Um, yeah, and is worried that like he's not 
taking his future seriously and he he's not thinking hard enough about like what the fuck is going to happen when he graduates well it it also like reiterates that like the way you care for people is not like to cling to something like it, it is to help them find a path forward like yeah taiga here is caring because she is doing something to help him move forward and wants him to do so yeah, like, Taiga it, in both games unilaterally, when she is being serious, is giving very good advice, like yeah. without fail. I mean, even even at the end of Unlimited Blade Works, like we see Rin doing the same thing, mm-hmm. where like she's giving Shiro a choice, but also like it's clearly like not much of a choice for Shiro. Like there is a very clear like correct option to choose in this scenario. Um, and that's the option, like where where he does, uh, like go with Rin and actually learn and and how how to use his magic for better. Um, but also, like Rin is the one who pushes pushes him to like actually make a decision and Rin, like sets also, Rin, everything like, up makes and does all the thinking. Him. Yeah. Whereas, like Taiga is here and is like. Hey, what is what are what do you you want to do? Like, what is your plan moving forward here? You know, the person who has subsumed his desires for like his entirety of his life. What are your desires? I'm sure you've gotten that figured out in the last six months. Therapy was helpful, right? <laughs> Bad news. Wait, you didn't go to therapy? <laughs> Weird. You should have probably done that. <laughs> All I did was kill a god. <laughs> hmm. Well, I feel like anytime you do some deity murder you probably should get therapy with that that feels like it should go hand in hand yeah if only because i want to make sure people who can kill gods are well adjusted (laughs) so we move on to day four uh which will be the last day we'll be covering for this particular recording um we go to the harbor uh to the oh most boy. repugnant scene in either game. Yeah, we get to be really mad now. Uh, this one is titled Shinchan and the Sea. Uh, Shinji has a fourth wall breaking rant about how he only has three scenes compared to the many scenes Sakura gets. Uh, it is theoretically a pretty funny concept, but because it uses Shinji as the person to make the joke, I fucking hate it. <laughs> so. The, the actual content of this scene is largely irrelevant. It is literally just a, a meta joke um, a, where Shinji is bitching about how he's unimportant and he got his ass beat by Lancer. Um, the thing that makes yeah. this scene so... If this were like Issei complaining about how the fact that like Rin always gets more scenes than him, that would be funny. I, yeah, sure, that'd be fine. <laughs> but I wouldn't like it very much because I think meta jokes are kind of bad and yeah. like I don't think it would be that interesting and or that funny, but like I would be like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, um, it would be inoffensive the, at worst. This scene is so upsetting because – so in Fate Stay Night, I talked a lot about how I didn't like Shinji because it felt like the game wasn't giving him the gravity his violence deserved. Um, And it became clear by the end of that game that that was an intentional decision where like that slow creeping – that obviousness uh, uh, that we can understand but that Shiro continually chooses to ignore is like – an indicator of a significant flaw of Shiro's and something that we see come to the forefront. And that full reveal of his violence in heaven's field is like an important thing. Um, the thing is we've already played heaven's field to get to this point. We've gotten that reveal. 
you can't put the fact that Shinji is a literal rapist and predator back in the bottle. You can't you can't make him funny haha. Yeah. His violence is there. We know what he is. We know what he's done. And so th- this is not like a, a oh in world scene. This is a meta joke specifically to the audience. And so, like, you want me to engage with a literal rapist and think he's funny? No, I just feel sick to my stomach every time he's on scene, on screen. And you want me to think this is funny? Get fucked. Fuck you, Nasu. Yeah. Um, not only is this a, not only is this a waste of my time. It is fucking foul that you think that this is something that's funny. Yeah, like the way that Shinji is treated past Fate Stay Night sometimes is like truly bizarre in that it makes me wonder like if if people were reading the same visual novel as i was the point where like let me see if i, I don't i genuinely don't know if people played heaven's feel i don't think people did because like i think a vast majority of people played up to unlimited blade works and stopped yeah to the point where like there is a figma action figure that sold as a two-pack that is sakura and shinji What the fuck? Yes. Uh, And it's... I don't... The only reason I can see why anyone would buy that is if they did it so they could get the Sakura figure and then immediately throw Shinji in the trash. Because I do not know why you would, why anyone would want to have a Shinji figure, specifically one like paired with Sakura. I, uh, I mean, like it. It feels like so. This is the fandest shit specifically that I was talking about. That made me. This is the scene that made me go, "Oh, I hate all of the fandest shit this game does." Um, where it is like, uh, uh, have you ever read like a fan fiction where it reduces a character down to like, it's a, a fan interpretation. Like, uh, I, I don't need to, um, I play FF 14. Yeah. You know what? That's fair. Uh, um, or, or, or like <laughs> basically interact with any fictional property on Tumblr ever. Yeah. Um, but, like, it feels like that is what is happening with Shinji here, where it is he is being reduced down to his most marketable and a fan interpretation possible. Uh, and it turns out a literal rapist makes it hard for him to be a character people can interact with um, because yeah. he's a literal rapist. This fan just basically turns, in, turns, in, turns him into, like, Gary Oak from Pokemon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and, like... That's fucking foul. That revisionism. So I have a lot of issues with Fate Stay Night. I haven't been subtle about that, but I have immense respect for the way Heavensfield, at a bare minimum, treats its it treats the violence done towards Sakura and other women as something that is inextricably monstrous and not worthy of forgiving, um, and not something that you have to forgive, and instead is something that is worth a recompense and uh, care after. And, like, Shinji doesn't get a redemption arc in that game despite also having been an abused child because he crossed the fucking line. That's that, There is a reason for that. The game does the work to make it clear that there is a fucking moral line, and he crossed it. 
And, like, to walk that back like this is so upsetting. I, I just, I genuinely don't have words for how upsetting this Shinji shit is. Yeah, it's, it's really infuriating that he's even included in mm-hmm. this thing. And, like, more of the fact that he's just, like, made into a jokey joke character. Yes. The fact that you think I'm, I would think this is funny means you think I'm either stupid or evil. And See, I... Because even in Fate Stay Night, like, during the Fate and Unlimited Blade Works roots, where he, for the most part, was portrayed as, like, just a pathetic dude. Um, yeah, he he's was a still, piece of shit, but he's not comic relief. He was still presented with, like, menace. Right! Like, it is it is pretty explicit. He is a menacing, monstrous piece of shit, and Shiro is actively ignoring that because it is inconvenient to acknowledge. Like, that's not what's happening here. He is a, it, it is literally a fourth wall breaking joke that he is speaking directly to the audience about. Yeah. Uh, uh, like I said, it feels like the game either thinks I'm stupid or evil uh, that I would think this is funny and neither one's great. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, all right. We're almost done with this loop. Um, we get a scene in the seniors hallway. This scene is called flip flop Two. Uh, Shiro walks through the hall and keeps getting an urge to look behind him, but not seeing anything. He is unsure of why he, he keeps feeling like something is following him. That's it. Uh, once again, more hinting at stuff happening, but not actually doing anything with it. Man, I can't wait for this game to have a plot. <laughs> uh, finally, we have the night scene where Shiro goes out for a walk with Saber. This scene is called Haunted Night. As they patrol, Saber reveals that anything with a human form has, has disappeared completely from Fuyuki. The voices mm-hmm. of the hounds are sickening to Shiro, but he wants to continue searching. Saber, meanwhile, insists that they retreat since they have no clues and Shiro is defenseless. Mm-hmm. He ignores her advice and rushes off, uh, forcing her to he doesn't ignore. He doesn't just ignore her advice. He uh, explicitly says, I believe, that you're not Saber or, or something to like that effect. Uh, um, or like, because that is not something she, is Saber would say. Uh, um, oh, I'm trying to okay. remember exactly That's what... That's what you're referring to. Yes. Uh, um... He, he basically uh, uh, points out, like, Saber would not advocate for retreat. Uh, um, here, let me pull Hallow Adorexia up and see if I can get the exact quote, uh, if you want to keep going. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll keep going as you find that. Uh, they eventually mm-hmm. find the girl with yellow eyes and white hair again, the beast flocking toward her. Saber is able to easily fight the beast off, and Shiro decides to take the opportunity to chase down the mysterious girl. She doesn't even try to run and admits that she's the one who's restarted the war in this fir- in this form. Quote, if you wish to resolve it, you should catch me. However, this time it was a failure. We were not meant to meet here. End quote. She chants a magic spell and Shiro's whole body is immediately constricted by a cloth. She explains that no human can tear the holy cloth of, Mag- of Magdala. She starts to say that she has no intention of killing him, but he's but she's suddenly interrupted. Shiro hears the sound of flesh being torn apart and smells blood drifting through the air. Nobody seems to have hurt her, but there's blood trickling down her body. How could I become possessed so quickly, she asks herself, then turns to Shiro. I knew it. You are... Before finishing her thought, she wanders away. 
Saber frees Shiro from the cloth, and he quickly pursues the girl again. He finds her lying on the grass in agony. She tells him not to come closer, but he ignores her. As he reaches the final step, huge claws burst out of her body and penetrate Shiro, killing him. Uh, I'm sorry, what was the name of this scene? Haunted Night. Um, there it sh- is. Yeah. Uh, uh, um. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, she says, uh, uh, Shiro, I understand how you feel, but there are no clues. Is it not wise to retreat? Uh, uh, and he says, this isn't like, er, in his head, he says, this isn't like Saber. I've been hearing the clues all this time, up to the point of blatancy. Uh, uh, let's leave home defense to Ryder. Right now, I want to track these voices. Uh, oh, okay. um, and like, him explicitly saying, I've been ignoring all of these clues that things aren't right uh, um, the entire time. Like, th- this is the first direct acknowledgement we have from Shiro of like, yeah, I've, I've been ignoring these clues, like the fucked up moon and everything like that. Um, yeah, so like, again, that is like the thing that's cemented to me. Like, yeah, Shiro knows. Like, Shiro knows. Shiro, and the ending of this word specifically, Shiro learns, uh, uh, er, attempts to ingrain in his soul, even if he won't remember this route. Yeah. <laughs> uh I just wish these, I don't know, I I like the actual, like, plot stuff that is centered on Shiro's, um, uh, Shiro wanting to, like, keep things the way, keep things in, like, a perfect paradise, and I like the Bazette stuff, uh, and everything in between largely feels like it's spinning its wheels. So, yeah, uh-huh, yep. You, I basically feel the exact same way. When the game is like, oh, I would like for there to be a plot, I'm like, fuck, I would also like for there to be a plot. It's great when there is a plot. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, the thing is, like, when there is doujin stuff, like, that, that is mostly meant for just character building, it makes you wish that they were just building off of, like, the character development from Heaven's Feel. I sure it, wish they were. Because, like, there is specifically a, a scene between... Uh, that stars like Shiro, Sakura, and Caster. Every uh, Sakura scene. That I think is, for the most part, exceptionally good. I, I find it very funny. It's a really good interaction. Caster gets some great development. Um, it, it's a it's a really fun pairing. Um, but also, it's, it is yet another scene that treats Sakura and Shiro as if they're not basically married already. Every Sakura scene feels like it needs to both keep uh, the massive work that happened in Heaven's Feel and also the non-work of Fate and Unblade, or Unlimited Blade Works uh, existing in parallel at the same time. And like, yeah, maybe it'll do something with that eventually. But as of right now, it's deeply frustrating. Yeah. Um, the, the, like, okay, so there is a route where I could end up looking back in retrospect and liking some of this stuff more if part of what it does is it starts disrupting these things and demonstrating that like this is shiro's desired fantasy of a world where things aren't horrifyingly fucked up and it starts disrupting that more and more i don't know that i have faith in that happening because like that would require this game in part to be a fundamental rejection of the uh, um 
uh, reductive uh, in gear, uh, reductive view of some of these characters that like I just I don't have faith of the game in the game to uh, reject. Yeah. Um. I really want to love like there is something here for me to love and I just wish it was a book. Just give me the actual interesting shit. Yeah. Like all of the fun character interaction scenes. They're, yeah, they're cute. They're great. Uh, they're cuter in like a 15 page Jojen where I can get in and out and it doesn't have anything to do with like a large, like fate stay night is so tight. Like that story is like big and long, but every scene even the ones that just feel like they're for character feel like they're moving things forward. Feel like they're at least trying to do something within the larger structure as a whole. And like, it doesn't feel that way for a lot of this. Yeah. Um, what, what you said about like, uh, characters being reduced to like certain traits reminds me that like the next time we record an episode, um, I'm going to get into this about a particular scene that is about Rin um oh cool and how i'm not gonna get mad and and how it leans into a trait of hers that gets exaggerated the more we get removed from fate stay night um cool that is continued in like ishtar from fate grand order um specifically is it is it the is it the cinderia stuff no really what is it you'll find out uh oh i'm gonna get mad it's something that it's something that really bugs me uh, because like, I don't get how that became the specific thing it did. Um, so yeah, I- I'm going to get to have my own rant about how Rin is treated. <laughs> cool. I mean, <laughs> I just sort of assume every time Rin is on screen at any point that we'll either get a rant about how good Rin is or a rant about how this game does Rin dirty, if not both. <laughs> uh but yeah, so that that's it for the loops we'll be covering. Um, gosh, I forgot that I had not finished um, loop six quite yet. Uh, probably do loop five and six then, since it sounds like there's a decent chunk in both of those. Yeah, even though I didn't, even though I didn't see any Bazet scenes in loop five and six, there were some pretty substantial scenes. Okay, in five that's fine. And six. So we we probably just won't do a Bizet scene unless something happens, like right at the end of Loop Six. We'll see. Okay. Um. Yeah. How are you feeling about the game so far? I wish I was. I wish I was less mixed about it than I am. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. Like, I wish I could just wholeheartedly uh, love this thing. Mm-hmm. I I think. I think I may be a little more negative on it than you were just because I was a little more positive on Heaven's Field than you were. Because, like, I like the idea of having, like, a sort of capstone to Fate Stay Night There's more about, like, revisiting the characters, giving them the chance to, like, have some interactions they normally could not have had in Fate Stay Night just due to the situation of the Grail War. Um, wouldn't let it make sense really uh, and just sort of like a, a last hurrah for these characters that you love um, and it's sort of that but also it it compromises itself a lot to create a fan disc that is meant 
to appeal to like every possible fan. Um, because like yeah. it like Nasu is clearly designing this to like regardless of which ending and which route you like the best, like the fan disc is meant to appeal to you in some way. Um, mm-hmm. and I wish he would just commit to an interpretation of, of Fate's Day Night, uh, even if it meant that, like, maybe some scenes piss me off more than they normally would, uh, because I'm not getting what I specifically want, um, because at least then I feel like it would have more of a directed purpose instead of feeling just like, it feels toothless. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, so that that's, like, actually my major criticism. What I was going to say is, like, so I am never, ever, ever going to be the person who's, like, uh, uh, oh, I need this to have, like, real uh, danger and stakes. Like, no, 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 no. I love when it's just the emotional shit. Give yeah. me that. Uh, my favorite anime is people sitting in a room talking and hurting each other's feelings. That's my favorite <laughs> thing in the world. Um, and the thing is... Isn't that basically is all not- Umineko is, too, is just people... Yes. Talking to each other. That's the entire game. It's the whole thing. It's just people talking to each other. It's so good. Um, Also, there's energy swords in it at one point. Sort of. Also, like, that's largely what one of my favorite animes is. Anime is um, Eccentric Family. Like, a a Mm -hmm. huge chunk of that is just, like, people having conversations where they're trying to outsmart each other. Uh, uh, one of my favorite animes, uh, 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 uh is like literally just people in rooms talking. That's all it is. A- and like then interacting based on those conversations. And like the core thing that is not being conveyed in this game is that like those stakes have to be real. They have to be emotional. They have to be invested. The characters have to be invested and we have to see that emotional investment. And that's yeah. just not here. And it's because we have these dueling stakes of like literally life on the line versus emotional stakes that are never actually developed fully because we're not really given much interiority. Yeah. Also, like the only perspective, I know this is a complaint I've had about Fate Stay Night as well, but I think it's extremely relevant here because the only the only perspective we're getting is that of Shiro's. And of course, Shiro loves this reality because Shiro's a coward, ultimately, mm-hmm. uh, who just wants everything to be all right with no compromise, with no compromises necessary. Everything, everyone's just fine. Every, everyone gets to be saved, even the villains. Um, but obviously that is a bad result for Sakura. Like that is a yes. terrible result for Sakura. But in this game, she just like, is fine with it yeah like it's it's unclear whether she is just like a construct of whatever loop he is a part of um much like the servants seem to be uh or if like she is actually getting her mind wiped each time or or what exactly is happening but either way um sakura doesn't get to have an opinion about what the Holy Grail War, what the Holy Grail War restarting means, and what Shinji and Zoken being back means e- either. Like, like she doesn't get to say, like, oh, man, it kind of sucks that you know Shinji and Zoken are around. It sucks that my abuser and my rapist are still here, and I live with them. Yeah, like, 
like it's just it I am willing to be wrong. I am willing to like you know it happened with Fate Stay Night, so maybe it'll happen here too. Um like Heaven's Feel ended up paying off of all of the frustrations we had at the beginning of Fate Stay Night. Yeah. I don't have faith that it will happen. The game has not earned that faith from me. Um, I hope I am wrong. I don't know if I am, though. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, is that even in the Fate and Unlimited Blade Works roots, like, there was enough questioning about Shiro's motives that at least we got those hints that it was building up to something. Like, even if we yep. ended up being disappointed about Fate and UBW, like, there were the seeds there so that, like, while we were talking about them, we were saying, oh, I wonder if it's if it's going to address it like this. Um, mm-hmm. And it ended up only happening in Heaven's Field, but, like, still, there were those hints even early, early on yeah. in Fate. Whereas, like, I'm... I'm several out. We're several hours into Fate Hollow Ataraxia now. I am even more hours into it because I I have to read ahead to make this work, um, and I'm not getting any sense at all that like we're gonna get people other than Shiro having an opinion about what the loop means and what this constructed reality means to them. Yeah, and like. Heaven's Feel worked because it's entirely about the interiority of Sakura. That That's what made that whole loop work. That's what made it the good one. It's all about the interiority of Sakura and about her personal, like, existence in a world where we've been primarily focusing on Shiro. And, like, the expansion that Shiro has to do of his world beyond himself and, like, beyond his own ideas into, like, taking care of others around him and accepting them as people and, like, with their own desires and flaws and uh, uh, faults and crimes and, like, the ways you take care of them and the ways you help make things better is by being aware of that and collaborating and uh, uh, working and understanding them as people. Yeah. And, like, that's just not here. And it is so frustrating to go from Heaven's Feel, where that is the core of the arc, and lose that. Yeah, to where soccer is just, like, the, the, the quiet girl, the shy, quiet girl who has a crush on Shiro uh, and has a passive-aggressive side. Even if we kept that, though, like... I want give us more of the back and forth between Bazette and Shiro. Give up give me I mean again, the thing I just want is it for it to be a book. I don't care about choosing where I'm going. Just give me a book, man. Make a curate experience. Figure out what's important. Get an editor. Fucking Christ. Edit some of the <laughs> shit that doesn't matter. The fact that an editor let that second Shinji scene through is abysmal who the yeah. fuck thought that was acceptable why the fuck are you wasting my time and yours writing this uh, nasu i that's a good question yeah it is <sighs> it's weird to think that i'm looking forward to a genu Bucci story <laughs> frankly i'm always surprised i'm lo- or when i look forward to a genu Bucci story um 
Yeah, but I, I'm just reading this and being like, damn, I can't wait to get to Fate Zero where like the story has like something it is le- is working up to and a very clear through line. <laughs> you know what? I, I will shit talk again Urobuchi up and down uh, all day and all night. What I will never say about the man is he does not have a clear and directed vision. Yeah. Like, he is always trying to do something, and I at least respect that. That's why I'll shit talk him. He knows how to structure a story. I just have some issues with the content of his stories sometimes. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> he, he has chops. It's just he's kind of repugnant sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hollow Ataraxia, please get better. I would love to like you. Yep. It, it, I, I, I'm I'm choosing to believe it gets better because I know how much Kim loves it, and yeah. so I, I am. I also thought it would be much shorter than it is. Yeah, I was not expecting it to be as long. As yeah, because again, I'm on I'm on loop six, and I it doesn't seem like I'm we're very we're that close to being done yet. Uh, and the, that the game facts me. I briefly glanced at had me like, oh, this is like this is like Fate Stay Night length, huh? Oh god! Actually, no. I'm gonna look up time to be okay. Uh, my okay. So, I'm I'm looking at the completion percent right now, and it is at twenty eight point six percent. So, uh, how long to beat for Hollow Ataraxia says thirty three hours for main story, fifty four for completionist. Okay. Let me let me just look up what it says for Fate Stay Night, just so I can compare. Um, Fate Stay Night's probably gonna be like. 60 or 60 to 80. I'm going to get 80. Uh, I, I'm mostly just curious, like, how it views. Uh, uh, okay, so main story, it says 61 hours. And okay. main story plus uh, or completionist is about 100. So okay. it, according to how long to beat, it's roughly half the length of Fate Stay Night. So, you know, it's just Fate and uh, Unlimited Labor. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, which Christ. which seems about right because again my completion percent right now is twenty eight point six percent and I am at and granted this includes time I take to summarize things but still like sure. fourteen hours thirty nine minutes. Fate and Unlimited Blade Works took us six months at, at least. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> we signed up for a project we were not expect. We did not fully comprehend the scope when we began this huh yeah no. we're two games in and we're already like <laughs> we fucked up oh <laughs> uh, okay we should wrap yeah uh that'll be it for this episode of uh saber metrics um you can uh follow me at stills the gm you can follow me at rhetoric acrobat uh, there's like a 60% chance I just softlock you if you do. Don't take it personally. I I just sort of only follow people or have people follow me who talk to people I know. Sorry. I forgot um, whether or not I had a sign-off for this, so I'd just fuck it. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs>